the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's Lifeline with Craig Roberts. He's the host of Northern California's longest-running conservative talk show. He's a man with a message, a conservative with compassion. He's Lifeline's own Craig Roberts. Good afternoon, Northern California. Welcome. Just about five minutes after the hour, 5 p.m., as we welcome you to another edition of Lifeline. Keeping you company Monday through Friday at this time, as we typically do, addressing issues that impact your life, your world, and your Christian walk. A new study released by Pew Research. Here it is in a nutshell. See if it sounds like you and your neighborhood. 75% of respondents do not know any of their neighbors in their own immediate neighborhood. That means only 25% know who their neighbors are. 60% admitted never to having spoken to any of their neighbors. And by the way, these studies have been done in urban settings in both um, um, residential areas as well as uh, condo and apartment living. So, I mean, how, how, do, how do you walk down the hallway of fellow individuals that live, live in the same building and never speak to them? Well, probably easy considering the fact that 46% of the respondents say that when they see a neighbor, they look the other way. And 28, almost a third, said they would never socialize with a neighbor. It is demonstrative, I think, of a breakdown of community, a breakdown certainly of what used to be the, 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 the close feeling that existed within communities and neighborhoods. And, of course, a lot of this raises some serious questions from a spiritual standpoint, and that is to say that if these attitudes in general are indicative of any attitudes within the church in specific, boy, are we in trouble. How do we go about transforming a community for Christ if we're not even willing to look, let alone speak, to our neighbors? Eric Swanson joins us now. You'll recognize perhaps the title of his bestseller, To Transform a City, Whole Church, Whole Gospel, and Whole City. And he joins us now by phone. And Eric, a delight to have you on the program with us. Well, Craig, the, really the pleasure is mine. How's things out there in the Bay Area? Things are doing good out here in the Bay Area. And, um, of course, that's always exciting news because we've had our challenges here down through the years, to be sure. Um, but there is a, there's a sense of God being at foot here, um, and that is very encouraging. And I think that uh, that heart desire that all of us in the church have to see God do something special and unique for such a time as this, for this season, for this generation, uh, is important. And as we all look to want to see God to do something, of course, uniquely, he often looks right back at us and says, I've given you the tools, I've given you the resources, now it's time for you to go to work. 
Well, that, you're kind of <laughs> preaching my message there, Craig. I think that's exactly right. Um, you know, sometimes we want to wait for God, and he's already told us what to do. Hey, by the way, I love the statistics. I, I mean, I, I despise them, but I loved you bringing those to the forefront just to, from the Pew Foundation there. Um, you know, as far as the 75% of people don't know their neighbors, 60% have never spoken to their neighbor, and 28% wouldn't even want to talk to their neighbor. Isn't that I mean, alarming? That, yeah, it is. And, you know, you think what the great commandment is, we're to love, first of all love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And our neighbors as ourselves. Yeah, but everyone else is our neighbors. And I think, you know, we somehow get around that, make it a theological truth. You know, this one one theoretical person will run into one day with a need, but what if Jesus really was talking about, you know, just our actual neighbors, you know, the five to eight people that live right around us. Well, and the odd thing is that that really is the definition of community. And if we look historically at the church, I'm going to pack, uh, of course, a couple of years here now to the first century church. Uh, this was something that had its um, its genesis in a, a quite uniquely a, a urban setting. They were big cities. If you read through the New Testament, go through the book of Acts, you'll see these are, these are not little farmlands that they're talking about. They're not rural communities. Communities essentially found its genesis in big cities. And so I think the observation of that commandment to love our neighbors as ourselves was something that, that Christ certainly didn't take lightly, and nor should we. Hmm. I think it's a great observation. Yeah, you look at, you know, the, um, you know, since a good place to start the conversations in the early church is that um, many of the, the listeners have probably read Rodney Stark's book, The Rise of Christianity, and you know, he attributed, I think when he began his work, he just studied as a sociologist, but when he looked at what caused the, the church to grow 40% per decade for the first 300 years, he said it was because Christians really acted counterculturally to the people around them. And that's actually a good message for today. If 75% of people don't know their neighbors, what a great time for those of us who name the name of Christ and follow Jesus to really become those people that love our neighbors. And he notes that in the first um, in the year 160, I think, in the somewhere around the year 250, there are two major plagues that basically wiped out about a third of the population in Europe. And uh, those that had the means would flee the city as quickly as they could, but the Christians just hunkered down and they not only took care of each other, but also took care of their neighbors. Mm. And uh, what the result was that um, uh, Stark goes on to say that epidemiologists will say that just to give a person food and water when they're too weak and too sick to feed themselves and uh, or give themselves drink would reduce the mortality by two thirds. And, uh, and so he's basically, from a sociological point of view, you know, that people would survive, you know, that if, if you had a Christian neighbor, that you'd take care of each other. If you, if you knew a Christian friend, they'd take care of you. But if you didn't have any Christian associations or friends, you're probably going to die. And so he said with every plague, there was a, a just a percentage higher uh, of believers. And it was such a marvelous, it's such a, and I do say marvelous in the sense that people would marvel over it. It was just a new way of looking at people, this inherent inherent uh, value of these, of these image bearers. Well, I think then, too, there's also a very distinct and subtle message here that shouldn't be lost on us. And that is the suggestion here that so little is capable of accomplishing so much. We're not, we're not talking about massive, heroic efforts here. We're talking about just almost um, run-of-the-mill acts of kindness that, in fact, can leave quite a significant impression on someone else, can't it? Yeah, you know, I've got a friend. It's interesting. I've got a friend that lives in Arvada, one of the suburbs of Denver here. 
And he had probably 20 or 30 pastors meeting, and they invited the mayor in to kind of give him what he called the Nehemiah tour of the city, you know, where he, um, and he had to explain what a Nehemiah tour was. And and uh, but the mayor said ended his talk after addressing the looking going over the needs of the city and all the broken parts of the city. He said it just occurred to me and my wife as I was driving over here that if we became a community of good neighbors, all the problems that I just mentioned would be solved. And if you pastors could just teach teach us to love our neighbors as ourselves, all of our problems would be solved. And so sometimes it's funny you know, that people outside our community, sometimes outside the people of faith, they can see it clearer than we can. That, um, you know, I think of, when I think of um, community transformation, a city transformation, I think it's two things, Craig. I think it's, it's uh, spiritual transformation and it's societal transformation. I define spiritual transformation as that an increasing number of people begin loving the Lord their God with all their heart, their soul, their mind, their strength. But societal transformation really occurs when people begin loving their neighbors as themselves. You know, you mentioned earlier about this notion of, of community transformation, finding a lot of genesis in the church working counterculturally. And when we come back after a brief time out, I want to dive a little bit deeper on that because it then, of course, suggests that we understand what the culture is. We know how to go about engaging it, and we understand what the, the opposite side or the counter side of the culture ought to be. And sadly... To the greatest degree, we see, and I don't want this to be a blanket accusation against all believers, but there seems to be ever increasingly a willingness to just simply kind of surrender and to embrace the culture as we see it, as opposed to wanting to get in there and to to work um, in such a fashion that we challenge that culture. Of course, that also requires a certain degree of boldness in our faith that maybe is, is lacking. If you've just joined the conversation, Eric Swanson with us today. One of his best-selling books, and it's a, it's almost a handbook when it comes to community transformation, is simply to transform a city, whole church, whole gospel, whole city. We'll take a brief time out and come back to more of our dialogue as this edition of Lifeline continues. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Back to the conversation tonight with Eric Swanson. Eric, before we get some closing comments from you, I want to have you um, share with our listeners an observation you shared in the early pages of To Transform a City. You talk about Calvary Bible Church um, that um, gathered together, not a significant group of people. It was about 100, uh, if recollection serves me. And the pastor got up on a Sunday morning and said, I'm going to give each of you, as you come up to uh, the pulpit here, a crisp, clean $100 bill. Take this, use it as seed money to go out and do something transformative. How did all that play out? Hmm. Actually, that was a phenomenal story. This is when we first started getting involved in serving our community. And, uh, you know, some people were just, he, actually, he didn't tell them, come up and get a $100 bill. He said, make a commitment to, he said, I'm going to have a challenge for you. And for some of you, this will be the most significant thing you've ever done. And I want you to come up and, you know, line up and do it. And then he gave us $100 bills, about 15 each service. And uh, for some people, they just stood there because the one guy, I remember he was an investment uh, banker, and he said, this is the heaviest $100 I've ever held in my hand. <laughs> and, uh, and he was just kind of stunned. Um, the best story we had, though, was from a kid that was 11 years old. And he said, you know, I think he had to be, I think, 16 or 18 to get the $100. But he said, how about just up and give me a dollar? And so the pastor gave him a dollar, and he went out and he created flyers and handed them out in his neighborhood about um, a, a, a neighborhood about him doing willingness to do yard work that summer. 
And I think, I forget how much he, he turned that dollar, I think, into $168 and then gave it to, mm, I can't remember what organization he gave it to, but they're organizations that serve the poor in our community. And I would say that kid's life, he's just going off to college this year, will never be the same because he saw God use them in a mighty way. And we have some other great stories, too. People, uh, you know, they're told to multiply that money and give it to something that God cares about in the community. So it's very much wide open. We had a couple other challenges after that then, too. Then we asked people to give of their, of their, uh, of their treasure that sell something of theirs that they valued. I remember one guy, uh, you know, flat screen TVs were just coming in, and, and he walked in, he said, this is it, and he sold that. And, and then they brought the money to the church, and I think we collected about 80000 from that, and then we gave it to three organizations that serve the poor. And then the last challenge was to give um, 90 minutes of time to, over the next 90 days to one of the human service organizations. You know, believing that if something good already exists through God's common grace, like a food bank or a homeless shelter, we don't need to start the Christian version of it. You know, that, that, uh, that we, can, we can partner with anybody that's morally positive and spiritually neutral. So that was that was a great adventure. That was a great time for life for a church. So, so much of that uh, humanity transformation, as you're suggesting, though, really really begins the really um, sort of um, the seed of it, the genesis of it, is with individual transformation, isn't yes, it? Uh-huh. Yeah, you know, I I had the privilege of doing a lot of study under a guy named Ray Bach, and I, Ray, I think, is the foremost urban missiologist. But Ray says they said cities are transformed by people who themselves have been transformed. And I think one of the one of the things that's happening today, Craig, and I think you've expressed it very well, is that people are moving from um, thinking about the church to thinking about the kingdom. And when you start thinking about the kingdom, you know, life as God intended it, then your playground becomes the community. It becomes your city. It's, it's no longer the church is almost too small. Um, but but I think what happens is I, it's a good illustration of what transformation means because what we're talking about is not a utopia. You know, until Christ comes back and makes all things new in Revelation 21.1, there's... there's um, still a fallen world, isn't it? It's still a fallen world, but can there be pockets of our community when we want to say, what does it look like? What does life look like? the way God intended to be. There ought to be some, like almost like the Baskin-Robbins sample spoons. You get to sample the kingdom all around. What well, I think this like? goes back to my point earlier about we focus a lot or talk about building the kingdom, mm-hmm. and if we would just model some of the kingdom, again, not a utopia building yeah. by any means, but recognize there's a degree to which we can, as the church, do this right here on earth. That's exactly right. You know, it, just, it looks like we're running out of time, Craig, but I know that I just want to say some, something about the Bay Area. Is the Bay Area area, you know, if we just continue the way we have been, we're going to miss so many opportunities. In the Bay Area, there's five million people that when when it comes to identifying with one of the 236 uh, identified religious organizations, they check none of them. Five hmm. million people. There's 50, I was reading a Bloomberg report about uh, Silicon Valley, and 51% of the Valley's population speaks a language other than English in their home. You know, so sometimes we think about the Great Commission and taking the gospel to the ends of the earth. What if at this point in history, there were more people now live in urban areas than, than rural areas, that God is bringing the peoples of the world and the cities of the world 
according to Acts 17, that they might seek him and find him because he's not far from Isn't that amazing that we have such a unique and rare privilege? And I don't say that Absolutely. just as a lifelong Bay Arean, uh, there, there's a, certainly a sense of pride in that, but that, you know, for so many decades, we, we were a mission sending and we went out and we sent people to other lands to share the gospel. And now, amazingly, God has seen fit to bring the people of the other lands and other tribes and tongues here to us. Wow. Let me say one more thing, Craig. I, gotta, I, I have to say this. You know, I came to faith at, at Cal Berkeley uh, my freshman year back in 1968. And so the Bay Area has a, has a real fond spot in my heart. And so I want to give a shout out to, to my friends that are out there that are, are really making a difference in the community. Well, that's fantastic. And Eric, let me just say, hey, anytime you happen to be over here for a visit, I don't know if you ever get out to California, uh, to God's country from God's country there in Colorado, uh, you got a platform, brother, because I love what you have to share. I love your heartbeat. And anytime you want to be on the radio or you're coming to town, you just send a note to my producer and say, I'm coming to town and we'll, we will clear out as much time on this program for you as we need. If you've got something on your heart, you want to share. That's amazingly kind. And I actually might take you up on that. Craig. I, I, I will hold you to it. Thanks so much for the time, Eric. Again, the book is called to transform a city available through the usual suspects, as well as through amazon.com authored by Eric Swanson, his website, by the way, you can check it out. Eric J Swanson.com. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. We're going to get into some exciting conversation. We welcome into the studios, certainly no stranger to the KFAX microphones. He is the senior pastor of Destiny Christian Fellowship and speaker on the broadcast Destined for Victory, which will launch here on KFAX this coming Monday at 3.30 p.m. That's Monday through Friday at 3.30 right here on KFAX. And delighted to welcome to the KFAX studios, Pastor Paul Shepard. Pastor Paul, wonderful to see you. Craig. It's good to see you. It's been quite a while since we've been able to hang out together in a studio, but I'm honored to be here. Well, an honor to have you with us today. And, and um, you know, we're, we're, we're gathering here today where, gee, there's so much going on that I think is capturing not only the, the minds of Americans and believers, certainly in the San Francisco Bay Area, that is pulling for not only our attention, but I think a lot of our, our stress and worries, whether we talk about the instability on Wall Street these days, concerns over the, the political direction of our country, and then I think closer to home for believers, there is growing concern about the moral and spiritual direction of our nation. And it's funny because we were talking off the air uh, before the broadcast today about the notion of where our nation's roots are. Yes. Uh, Historically, spiritually, we know the major influence that the church had in the founding of our nation. And yet today, that influence seems to have waned at a time where perhaps more so than ever before, this nation is desperate for answers. Absolutely. I am convinced that uh, if we still want to hold out for the hope that we are at our core, a Christian nation, uh, we certainly need to own and admit the fact that our nation is doing a really good pagan, heathen 
imitation and therefore we have to kind of have the mindset i believe of the first century church that did not uh presume that people would be open to the gospel but paul said i'm not ashamed of it because it is the power of god unto salvation and i believe like never before we have to get back to firm solid preaching of the gospel which is good news not bad news but good news because it says that jesus is the answer to whatever our questions and challenges are. Now, when you say first century church, because some people hear that and they think, well, sure, you're, you're talking about a period where it had strong influence of the apostles who had walked and talked with Jesus, uh, the early days, the founding of the church, the spreading of the gospel like wildfire, the influence of the Holy Spirit taking the gospel into all these tribes, all these tongues, all across uh, that, that portion of the world. They had it easy. Well, I would beg to differ from those who say that they had it easy because they walked into uh, cities and towns that were thoroughly pagan. Uh, They worshipped false gods in big numbers. They had temples erected uh, for the purposes of prostitution and all kinds of things. And so we really need to understand that their absence of a knowledge of who Jesus was uh, presented the opportunity for the church to come in, not just with words, as Paul said in one letter, but with power. And I think we're right back there again. I think our prayer meetings, our Bible studies need to be full of people who say, God, help us to represent you in a way that is fueled by the power of the Holy Spirit so that we can make a difference and let our light shine in 21st century America. The reflection of the church today as the church in the first century uh, also holds up the mirror of the circumstances in which that church was struggling and in the embryonic stages uh, learning to grow. Can we see a solid comparison between America today and the Rome of that time? I I think about rampant paganism, heathenism, a government that was out of control, persecution taking place. Uh, There were a lot of those first century Christians who who spent their days and nights in catacombs and, and, and hiding out because literally their lives were on the line because they were following this person named Jesus. That's really true. And the church in that day had to be wise enough to be in the world, but not of the world. I think about the fact that in his letter to the church at Philippi, Paul talked about saints who were in Caesar's household. And I thought, wow, what a challenge for them to be employees, literally, of Caesar, who represents himself to be God to the Roman world. And yet, People who truly worship Jesus never compromised their faith, were employed there, and were in Caesar's household. And I think we more and more have to see ourselves as living and working in Caesar's household, uh, in the various corporations where we all work and serve here in the Bay Area and beyond. We just have to see that God has me there. It's not necessarily a Christ-friendly atmosphere. But we can represent Christ without compromise and with the love of Jesus and take it to this lost world. Some people, Pastor Paul, see that that environment of of persecution, hostility towards faith, such as what we're experiencing in America today. And they say nothing good can come out of this. And yet I have to wonder, we see so many examples of where uh, trials, trial by fire, in fact, doesn't hurt, but purifies 
I look, for example, at what's happened to the church in China, where in the late 1940s after the war, communists took over. They shut down all of the churches. They kicked out all of the missionaries. They arrested all the pastors. They closed down all the seminaries. And a church that at that time maybe had 80,000, 100,000 believers in it, today has upwards of maybe 80 million, 100 million. Who knows? I mean, those are just the government estimates. Wow. And that absent organized church services, there's no camp meetings, there's no Christian radio stations, uh, there are restrictions on even what can be preached publicly, so much of the church has had to go underground, and yet it's exploded. And I look wow. at that, and I have to wonder to myself, as we're looking at this comparison between the church in America today and the first century church in America today and Rome, if perhaps there's a degree to which some of what we're going through, these trials and testings, can in fact not, not help to purify the church and even make us stronger. That's my prayer, that what we're going through now will catapult us into a place where we feel desperate enough to get back to the basics of knowing the the gospel has power in it. Believers have to move toward real unity. We have to stop fighting over non-essential things. We're free to debate them, but we need to keep the main thing the main thing, which is this is a lost and dying world. Its one and only answer is Jesus Christ. We exist. We're in business to represent him. He has given us the power of his spirit, which we have to tap into more and more every day and say, God, make us the explosive body of Christ that you designed for us to be. When you say back to basics, is there a suggestion there that maybe some of the church has lost its first love that we need to maybe stop for a minute and rethink? Because there's a lot of cases where it seems as if the power of the church has atrophied and we're going through the motions. It is about where we go on Sunday, but how we live Monday through Saturday seems to be a disconnect. Yes, sir. I believe that we have to understand that back to the basics means that Christianity is really not at its core a religion that uh, would suggest we would go through our rituals and motions. It is a relationship, a dynamic life-changing relationship with the one and only Savior of the world. We have to get back to representing Christ, studying Christ, knowing Christ, embracing and surrendering His plan for our lives, confessing wrong and faults in our own lives, because I don't think we can uh, preach to the church until we're dealing with our own issues. I certainly uh, have a degree in that over the past several years as I've grappled with my own and seen God do some wonderful transformation things in my own life and in my own ministry. And I think we really have to let the world know we're not so much religious as we are people who are radical for Jesus. And we know he has the power to change our world for the better. If you've just joined our conversation on this edition of Lifeline, Pastor Paul Shepard joins us. His broadcast, Destined for Victory, begins this coming Monday and will be heard Monday through Friday at 3.30 p.m. right here on KFAX. I'll mention, too, if you're new to the San Francisco Bay Area, perhaps looking for a church home, check out the Sunday services of Destiny Christian Fellowship. They're located at 42326 Albrey Street. That's right off the Auto Mall Parkway exit from 880 in Fremont. Information available on the web, by the way, about the radio ministry at pastorpaul.net. That's pastorpaul.net. And if you'd like to
like to drop by for a visit some Sunday morning, you can check them out on the web at destinybayarea.org. That's destinybayarea.org. A brief time out, back to more of our conversation as this edition of Lifeline with Pastor Paul Shepard continues right after a look at traffic. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Welcome back to Lifeline on this Thursday. We're visiting today in studio with Pastor Paul Shepard, certainly no stranger to the KFAX microphones. His radio broadcast, by the way, Destined for Victory, will come to San Francisco and the Bay Area beginning this Monday and will be heard right on KFAX Monday through Friday at 3.30 p.m. You can get more information on the web, by the way, about the broadcast ministry of Pastor Paul Shepard. It's simply PastorPaul.net. That's PastorPaul.net. We were talking just before the break about this comparison, this sense that you have that we're really sort of beginning to see uh, a repeat of history, that more and more the struggles that the church is facing looks like the first century church and the environment, the, the, the culture in which we live today, certainly in America, is looking more and more like the culture of Rome back in the first century. Absolutely. With that... Uh, this back to basics notion, do you think that really we have sort of accidentally redefined what it means to be a believer and as a result taken the power out? And, and I, I pose that question because when you go to the average church today, they'll sign you up for a membership class and they'll talk to you all about uh, what they believe and uh, how they want you to behave. And when your turn comes to host the bake sale or attend the men's fellowship group, (laughs) things of this sort, and yet there seems to be a greater distance between what it means to be a member of a denomination versus to be a disciple. And I, I see nowhere in Scripture where we were mandated to go out and add members to the church. He said to go out and make disciples what what should that look like well i believe the making of disciples means that we get back to the business of saying what was god's original plan when he said upon this rock i will build my church and the gates of hell won't prevail against it what does that mean i believe it means number one the church belongs to god its agenda then must be god's plan and we really have to define ourselves i think we have to go back to our mission statements in all of our churches and say do we exist on paper for the reasons given us and authorized by the scriptures and in many cases we'll find that we have matters of importance to us that really aren't matters of importance to God. So when you bring up the issue of discipleship, that's my heartbeat. My job as a pastor in the body of Christ is to teach and train and equip people to live the life we were called to live. And therefore, we have to go beyond organizing well. It's important to organize well, but we have to tap into the fact that the church is is more an organism than it is an organization. It's got to have the life of Christ. So we have to have prayer. We have to have real seeking of the Holy Spirit. We have to exercise the gifts he's given us under the power that he's given us. And we really have to look at what it means to follow Jesus in every area of our lives. 
that following and what you described as sort of the fundamentals of what discipleship really means says a lot towards the the empowerment of the church, the maturization of the church, uh, the church really rediscovering its first love, drawing closer to Jesus Christ. But there's a, there's another tier, there's another impact as a result of all of that that I think uh, is 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 important to. To discuss, and that is what it means in terms of the influence to the outside world. We look at pop culture today, Pastor Paul. We see a world that is struggling with its identity, a sense of purpose, meaning. There is infighting, whether we talk about the divorce rate between couples, whether we talk about some of the challenges that we've seen racially in this country in the last uh, number of years. It is clear, I think, to even the casual observer that there is a world around us and a culture and a society that that is becoming unhinged. As the church gets focused on what it truly means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, isn't that also going to empower us to have greater impact? Because at the end of the day, if the church cannot be about, first and foremost, reconciliation and restoration— it's all pretty pointless. That is a great observation. I believe those two words are the key to getting back on track if we're part of a body of believers that have gotten off track. We've got to look at the fact that God sent his son to reconcile man to God and then to reconcile men one to another. So that theme of reconciliation that we find strongly in many passages, including 2 Corinthians chapter 5, where we're told very specifically that God in Christ is reconciling the world to himself. And then we see many passages that tell us about the importance of reconciling with one another. That is crucial. I think we've got to get back to the business of that. And the other word you used, restoration. Anything that is wrong can be restored by the power of God, whether it is bad dynamics in a marriage, in our personal lives. God is into restoring I often say that God is the ultimate recycler. He does not waste anything or anyone. Once we present ourselves to him and put ourselves in a position to allow him to do his work, the potter knows how to take the clay and mold it into what he has designed it to be. We've seen in the last year or so an increased focus on the the struggles that our nation seems to be having in, in certain communities in terms of reconciliation. Yes, um, and you know, we won't take the time to go into them all. Everybody listening knows exactly what I'm talking about, and it and it, it it dawns on me that if we as the church could demonstrate what it means for us as believers to be reconciled unto God. Here is a holy, pure, righteous, without blame or sin, perfect God whose creation has sinned and offended as a stench in God's nostrils in so many ways, and yet through the power of the work of his Son on the cross, we have been able to find forgiveness and reconciliation unto the Father. Now, if, if God can forgive us for the, the, the sins and, and wounds that we have committed to him, 
I would imagine that that could really serve, if we're really living out the totality of that, if we know what it means to offend God, we know what it means to then be covered by the blood of his son and for God to so totally forgive us through that substitutionary work of Christ on the cross and can live out what it means to then be reconciled as the creation unto the creator, what an amazing model that could be. I would imagine there would be no offense then between husband or wife, father or son, one race or another that couldn't look at that and say, if God has provided a way by which his creation can be reconciled unto him, then that same forgiveness can then be shared on the horizontal plane amongst one another. I believe that is the key to reconciliation among people. We have to get back to the fact of realizing God has forgiven us and restored us to relationship with him, and there is no excuse for us to not be active in the business of reconciling one with another. Now, we can forgive people even if we can't be reconciled to them. And what I mean by that is uh, forgiveness is a decision I make based on what Christ has done for me. And so I can offer someone forgiveness in my heart, even if they don't want it. I have forgiven them in my heart and I'm prepared to extend it to them in person if they want to receive it from me. And so there is always forgiveness. I believe we've got to be in the forgiving business and then as much as possible be in the reconciling business which takes another step. It means two people have to come together, have to be willing to acknowledge where they've wronged one another, and then they have to build a new bridge. Uh, I once uh, wrote a book years ago called Build a Bridge and Get Over It. And literally, we have to learn to build bridges so that we can cross over into the lives of other people. But whether or not we're willing to reconcile, and sometimes that takes a cooperation that someone else isn't willing to give, we can all always forgive. We can always have the love of Christ. Christ loved people even when they walked away from him as proof uh, from the rich young ruler's story. And so we can always forgive and we should always look to wherever we can reconcile. Some of the folks eavesdropping on our conversation today who are familiar with your ministry um, may have a question and I want you to speak to this if you would, Pastor Paul. Sure. If the gospel was strictly about reconciliation, Wow. That in and of and by itself is so over the top amazing, we could talk for hours. And (laughs) books have been written on the topic, sermons have been preached for hours on it. But the gospel is not just about reconciliation, it's also about restoration. Yes. God doesn't find us broken and say, okay, you were broken, I now forgive you. He finds us broken and then he brings about restoration. Speak to that, if you would. Well, I love the fact that God is a restorer, that when something is broken and restoration implies that there's been something broken, something has gone wrong. And that has happened, if we'll all just be honest, that's happened in all of our lives first and foremost. Mm -hmm. He created us for a specific purpose that because of sin, we went astray from. And so all of us have experienced restoration in the sense of our initial... um, 
coming back to God and him restoring us to relationship with himself. But if we'll be honest, restoration happens throughout our lifetime as we as different areas break in our lives. We can have broken relationships with people. We can have broken spiritual connections. Some people once got saved, but they haven't prayed in the longest time. They don't read the word. They don't have a sense of fellowship with God. And so that breaks. We can have brokenness in our finances. Anytime we are doing and experiencing that which is not God's plan for us, we are candidates for restoration. And the good news is that the Bible has precepts and principles for us to be restored in every area. As a pastor, I never have to go into a a brain freeze and wonder, oh, what in the world should I preach about? Just look at what needs to be fixed that's broken in our lives. And I've always got something to preach about. And the Bible has precepts and principles to give us victory in those areas. Just a bit of a glimpse of what you'll enjoy on the broadcast Destined for Victory. Again, the broadcast Monday through Friday, 3.30 p.m. right here on KFAX. More information about Destined for Victory on the web at PastorPaul.net. That's PastorPaul.net. And again, if you're new to the Bay Area or looking for a church home and uh, would perhaps like to come and visit on a Sunday morning, Destiny Christian Fellowship Church, located at 42326 Albrey in the city of Fremont. And you can check out the church on the web, get more information and directions. Simply go to DestinyBayArea.org. That's DestinyBayArea.org. And again, uh, make a note on your calendar, if you would, Monday's broadcast, 3.30 p.m. of Destined for Victory with Pastor Paul Shepard right here on KFAX. Pastor Paul, thanks for dropping by. Thanks so much. Glad to be with you, Craig. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.